Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. My career crisis. I put a post on social media asking teachers in my network to sum up what it was like being a teacher in one statement. So hardly the most scientific experiment, but this is what I got back. Only stuck it for a year, teaching 15 to 18-year-olds. All I can say is if you have never taught in a classroom, you have never experienced just how little attention can be paid your way. Still hilarious and rewarding, but precarious in terms of security, pay and mental physical health. Somewhat denigrated in the public perception department. The pressures on productivity are immense and I find myself on a treadmill where I'm not sure I'm actually benefiting many children. Teaching would be awesome without students or admin or marking or parents or managers or rules. Teaching would be great if it involved me sitting on a beach, drinking beer, thinking about teaching. Just some of the responses that I had on Facebook. Welcome to My Career Crisis. I'm Ruth Barnes and it is all about teaching this episode. Sue, you taught for a couple of years back in the golden era of of teaching when you could kind of do what you like. Did anyone actually (laughs) even care what you were doing in the classroom? Well, yeah, they did. I think it's probably a great service to all children that I no longer teach. Um, (laughs) I did it for two years. I don't know why I did it. Well, because I did an English degree. What do you do with an English degree? And uh, because... Uh, you know, I just thought that would be a good thing to do. But what I realised was I was fundamentally unsuited to it. So even though it was much laxer times, I basically don't like working in the same place every day. That's my, I've got ants in my pants. And also I don't like being told what to do. And um, I, I loved it. I learned a lot from it. And actually a lot of the things that I learned during those two years, I still use because I train other people and I coach other people. So uh, I've said before on these podcasts, whatever you do, it's not wasted. It'll always give you something in the future. Well, our guest today is Judy. Hi, Judy. Hi. Lovely to have you on the podcast. Um, teaching has driven me crazy is the headline here. Um, I, I want to start by asking you, about your dream teaching scenario. In my head, it's jumping on the table like Robin Williams oh, in no. Dead Poets Society no, 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 no. and inspiring <laughs> the young and having this brilliant time. Um, we, we'll get to why you left teaching, but what, what's your kind of dream scenario in terms of teaching? What would have kept you there? 
If I just had to be in the classroom teaching students, regardless of whether that's during a Robin Williams moment, which I really don't advocate at all, (laughs) uh, not just for health and safety reasons, but just because I'm not that egotistical. But, um, you know, even if you're getting them to do really minor things, because it's part of, you know, growing up and developing, but even if you're getting them to do really sort of simple things like how to construct a sentence well, how to use punctuation, all the really boring things, but they need to know that for adult life so you know if it's just classroom based then I love it and I miss it I do miss it and I miss the kids because kids yeah they're difficult and yeah they're teenagers and they can be you know present with various problems however they're also hugely entertaining you learn so much from them and they keep you alive and they keep you young and they've got so much energy so you know If teaching was just what happens in the classroom, I think we'd all be doing it because it's a great experience. What drew you to teaching in the first place? Um, Well, I have four children myself. Well, they're older now, but when um, they were younger, I, when they were at primary school, I worked as a teaching assistant because it fitted in with childcare and it was an easy thing for me to do. And by observing other teachers, I kind of thought, you know, I could do this. (laughs) This is something I could do. So um, that drew me into it, really, just, you know, being in a school environment and enjoying it, enjoying the kind of busyness, the camaraderie with the other adults and enjoying the huge variety of personalities that you get from all ages, from 11 to 18, and the different needs at all those different stages in between. Yeah, I thought, you know, this is something that I'd really like to do. And so when my youngest child was in year six, that's when I did my PGCE so about 10 years ago now and then I became a secondary school teacher okay so 10 years about 10 years I'm I'm always trying to figure out how long I've been doing it for but yeah I think so and bring us up to date then you've just decided to throw a throw in the towel so well it wasn't a just decision it was this time last year when I went back for um my uh, previous year I was just thinking you know, do I want to do this for the next 10 to 15 years of my life? This is exhausting. You know, you were saying somebody talked about being on the treadmill. Well, I see myself very much as a hamster when I'm a teacher because, you know, the minute you get up in the morning till Friday before half term, you are on that treadmill and you don't stop. You just don't stop. And I just thought I'm going to kill myself if I keep doing this because, again, it depends on your personality, but You know, I've got the sort of personality where I just throw myself into it and I do it to the best of my ability and I care about every little thing and every little student and a lot of teachers are like this, you know, which is why it's so emotionally draining and why it's so exhausting for them because they're constantly thinking about not just, you know, what needs to be done but they're constantly thinking about, you know, that that little individual in year eight who's got an issue and you know what can we do to help that or that child in year 11 who needs to be achieving a certain grade to do a certain a level but at the moment they're not quite there what can I do so you're always thinking you know about these individuals that you care for so that was just exhausting for me really exhausting that's interesting isn't it because I think that the headlines I read in the papers are about targets and the huge amount of admin and data and the kind of numbers side of teaching that I don't think I've ever really thought about having to balance that with the emotional intensity of teaching. You get what um, a friend of mine who's a social worker said to me recently, she said, oh, it sounds like you've had care fatigue, which, you know, is where you've just had enough of caring and 
And like Sue was saying, when you get to that stage where you think, I can't give any more and I'm possibly not giving the best for the students, then you're not the best person to do the job, really. So, yeah, that was why I kind of was thinking about it from September. And then by about Christmas, I would say, I kind of thought, yeah, I need to find something else to do with the next 15 years of my life. And I... With teaching, you have to give quite a long period of notice, at least a term. And also I had a year 11 group who I taught for since the beginning of year nine. And so I was really, really fond of them. And they were a great group. And I just wanted to see them through to their GCSEs. I didn't want to abandon them, you know, leave them halfway through the term because, they, you know, they were a great class and I, I wouldn't have done that to them. And so I handed in my notice at Easter and made that decision then, which was really, really scary. And here you are. And I guess and it's not about it's not about the school you were at. This would have been that you would have felt this way regardless of where you were teaching. I think so. I think so. I did have a few issues with the school I was at, but then I think all schools have their problems. Um, so I'm not sure whether that would have been the case. And I think possibly, yeah, wherever I had been teaching, because like I said, it's not about what happens in the classroom. It's about all of those things that happen outside of the classroom, which you have just outlined. So the targets, the marking, the pressure from pu the public media, all of those things, those were the things that were training me as well. And was this something that had got increasingly worse over the 10 years of your teaching career? Uh, possibly, yes, I think so. I think I became more aware of it. I mean, maybe when I first started out and, you know, as a sort of hugely naive and um, inspirational kind of uh, NQT, I wasn't thinking about our public perception. But I do think, you know, dare I mention it, Michael Gove, unfortunately, brought all of the worst feelings about teaching and where it was going wrong to the public forefront. And we did feel, and we still do feel, a lot of the time victimised, you know, not just by uh, the press and the government and the, um, you know, just the public perception that teachers are not very good, but also by parents, you know, the parent parental influence. When I first started, I don't remember ever having complaints from parents about anything I was doing, whereas recently there's just been more and more, uh, more parents sort of coming in and sort of having a go at you or having a moan or saying you're not doing the right thing for their child, which, you know, on the one hand, you have to have sympathy with that, that parents should have their right to have some sort of control over their child's education. On the other hand, you know, sometimes that conflicts with what you feel as a professional, you are doing the right thing. So, yeah, I had some issues with that. And I just thought, you know, this is not really what I signed up for. It's interesting, isn't it, Sue, because you've, you've got two kids who've been through the school system. Mm. When you hear the way Judy's talking, does that resonate with your experience of being a parent, seeing your kids through school? Well, it is, but I, um, I also remember being a child at school, and it's very interesting, and I am very old, so you know, take this <laughs> with a pinch of salt, but um, if I came home to my mother, and I went to a convent school, and, I, and my mother always took the attitude that I was very lucky to be there, and if I came home and I said, you know, Sister Science, I said this to me and it really upset me, my mother would say, well, you probably deserved it. <laughs> there was no, <laughs> no sympathy at all. And when my kids would come home, I mean, there was on one occasion when um, there was a very um, mad teacher that I had to go and have words with. Um, basically, she was in a, a... My daughter went to a girls' school and uh, she was somebody who'd had her children and waited until they were in secondary school before she went back to teach. 
and basically said to this class of girls that she felt that, you know, working mothers for very small children were letting the side down. Ooh. And... Um, my daughter came home and she said, I think I've got into trouble. And I said, why? And she said, well, I, I put my hand up and I said, that's not been my experience. You know, my mother works and I don't think I've suffered. And instead of the woman saying to her, well, you know, that's a fair point. She had an argument with her about it. Oh. So Nell came home and she said, look, I'm, I'm, I think, you know, I'm, I might be in trouble. And I just said, look, were you rude? And she said no, and I said, then it's perfectly all right for you to have a different opinion to somebody. But apart from that one occasion, if she, if they came home and they said they'd had trouble, I would always say, well, what did you do to... to how did this start? Yeah, I think a lot of the issues that we, um, we faced recently have been to do with not so much um, a clash of personalities, but just the basics of trying to implement the school's behaviour policy mm. and parents not agreeing with it. In fact, I read on Facebook recently a teacher... Um, I used to know who said that he'd been threatened with the police because of giving detention to a student he taught. So it is that kind of, it's not that we're doing anything unreasonable or, you know, obviously fair enough in any situation if an adult is bullying or acting in a way which is unprofessional towards children, yes, that needs to be reported. But just simple things like trying to make sure students behave so that everyone in the class has an education. That is the thing that I was getting more and more sort of, you know, problems with parents not agreeing with that. So And also know. what message do you send your child that there are I mean I'm someone who doesn't particularly like rules myself, but um, there are certain times when you have to obey yeah. them. And what sort of a message are you sending your child when you say, you don't like that rule, I'll come up to school and yeah. I'll sort them out. Yeah. You know, it's appalling. So, yeah, that that was kind of, you know, the nail in the coffin, really, for me. I think we need to ask an important question here, just to kind of, uh, the headline of this teaching crisis, really, <laughs> uh, which you, you're sort of out of now. But if another teacher is listening, Sue, what advice would you give for teachers who are maybe feeling like, Judy was a year ago, feeling that pressure, feeling like you're just constantly scrambling around to stay afloat and that you're never doing enough and having these kind of parents who are a bit too, potentially a little bit too involved these days, kind of sticking their oar in. I mean, I um, um, I would always be a fan of trying to sort stuff out at, at the time. But if you're not getting, for example, support from your head teacher, if someone, you know, is not being very supportive of you and when you've not done nothing wrong, I'd be looking around to go to somewhere where I would be more supported. That's the one thing. But some of the things that Judy's been talking about, it's not just the discipline, it's also about the workload. And I know you did English, I did as well. And just the workload is enormous if if you want to do it properly. It's interesting because I, I coach people. Um, when you are a trained coach, you have a supervisor. And you have to see your supervisor regularly. And basically what you say is, you know, you're offloading, you're saying, this is how I dealt with it, they can give you some feedback. But it's also about sharing how you felt because sometimes it's quite difficult. And it seems to me that teachers could benefit from something like that because you just are left to cope with this all on your own. You might have a friend in the staff room but you don't have someone who's a supervisor. I think social workers do as well, don't they, to try and help them cope with some of the issues that they have to cope with. Yeah, I think there um, is uh, that sort of thing is 
being introduced, well, we I remember a poster being on the wall in our staff room, something about need to talk to someone, and it was just a brief poster. We didn't kind of get much training on it. But, you know, I don't want to kind of um, criticise the parents too much because, you know, 99% of the parents I deal with were very supportive and would do just the sort of thing you said your mum would do, you know, sort yourself out, get in there, you're there to work yeah. and don't make trouble. But um, on the other side of it, you also, interestingly, picking up on what you were saying there, um, because, you know, teachers, the senior leadership team in a school is, they're, they're all teachers, they're not trained social workers or managers or really anything like that. So they don't have that capacity or experience in order to give that sort of uh, support, really. And I think that's one of the biggest things which is problematic with teachers today is that the support networks just are not there. All of the emphasis is on you being the person who supports others. And a lot of the time, I mean, I know the NUT or the NEU, as they are now, are aware of um, this and you can go and get help from the union if you want to, but most teachers unfortunately don't really have the time to consider that element of their personality or their career and you know the other thing that's really really hard for teachers today is the pressure that's put on you from the senior leadership team to get results to get targets you know schools are very much target driven now um, particularly with the new GCSEs um, for English and that new scale that they've got um, that's where the pressure is coming from as well so that was kind of quite a big push factor for me as well. What was the scale? What's the scale thing? Just for people who don't uh, know. Oh, like sorry. The... Yeah, no. The GCSEs that we all know and love, or before that, the O levels, and in fact, going back for time immemorial, have always been graded A, B, C, D, and A star, obviously, more recently. And again, this was a Michael Gove um, incentive that he was going to put his mark upon the education system. I think the idea was to bring it more in line with international standards to change the scale for GCSEs from nine to one, with nine being the highest and one being the lowest. Also, the GCSE that you sit is exactly the same. There is no um, higher and foundation anymore. There's no uh, O-level CSE in the old days, as it would have been. There's no two-tier system. It's just one paper for all abilities. So particularly for this year, it was just English and maths that had the nine to one. But from this summer, it's going to be rolled out across all subjects. So, you know, that again, that was another kind of thing which really made me think... I feel like I'm letting the students down here because I don't quite know what what a nine looks like because we weren't getting that information from the exam boards, you know. And it was obviously intended for a nine to be higher than an A star, much harder than an A star to achieve. So, you know, if you give someone um, a choice of saying you can have something that's a number one or you can have something that's a number 10 Everyone's going and 10 is the best everyone's going to want a number 10 aren't they? So if you say to students actually if you get a 5 or a 6 that's really really good they're teenagers, they don't believe you, they mm. know that you're talking a load of rubbish so um, you know that was another factor which I just found really difficult and I just felt it was really, really unfair on students to change this. I also think for employers as well, you know, they've been used to, oh, you've got a GCSE grade B, that's very, very good. I've got a GCSE grade four. Is that good? Is that bad? <laughs> Who what knows? Does that mean? Yeah, what does yeah. it even mean? So I think if you can't change something 
and you don't think you can influence something and it's making you unhappy, then you're the, you're the only one you can change. You can't change anything else. So either people can adapt to the system, and I think it is death by a thousand cuts, isn't it? Every time you get something sorted out, something else comes in. Mm-hmm. There are some people who can cope with that quite well. Yeah. And there are, there are others who can't. And <clears throat> I think the decision that you've made, which is this is not doing me any good, is a really good decision for you. It was cutting into my health and also to my home life. Um, you know, it got to a stage where every weekend I would be up at eight o'clock. Sometimes I'd be straight at the desk in my dressing gown, starting to do my marking with the laptop out and everything, you know. And I'd sort of just be working, have my breakfast, and then my husband would come in and say, what are you up today? I said, oh, I'm just going to do this. And then, you know, maybe lunchtime. Lunchtime would come. I've just got to do the next thing. I've just got to do a bit of this. And then, you know, by the time... <laughs> the day's gone, it's six o'clock, and that's how it works for not just me, but lots and lots of teachers, particularly anything like an English teacher or a history teacher or anything where you've got a lot of word-based um, writing and marking to be done. That's tough. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Let's move on to the second part of this conversation, Judy, okay. which is that now you're 50. Yes. And you are... <laughs> you, you, dear listener, she doesn't look it. Oh. She really doesn't. The first <laughs> thing I you. said to her was like, what? What? Tell me about your skincare regime. Um, <laughs> I'm a <you've>, vegan. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's why you're glowing at me. Yeah. I love it. Okay. And it's very hot in here. <laughs> it is. Yes. We're all, we're all glowing, actually. Um, you've been temping. Yes. And you're in this bizarre situation that I guess you never thought you'd find yourself in, which is being at this age now where you're looking for work and you're potentially going to offices where the kind of work you're looking at doing is being done already by much younger people. What's that like for your confidence and Um, how are you coping with it? Well, I think because I've been planning this for a long time, and I would say to anyone who is thinking about leaving teaching, don't just do it on an emotional sort of knee-jerk reaction, you have to plan it. Because the first thing I did was save up quite a bit of money, uh, which is all gone now. But at least I had that saving to carry me through so that 
there would be there were you know I've had a lovely two and a half month summer holiday so I've had two and a half months where I wasn't working but I also wasn't earning and so I I saved up some money and I um I went for an interview it was at the University of Sussex and it was much um kind of I was vastly overqualified to do it basically but I kind of accepted that I thought I'm going to have to take a few steps back in order to learn some new skills and to find out, you know, what the working world is like outside of the classroom and just to get that experience. And so, you know, I I accept that and I think you have to accept that. I've heard recently, in fact, my sister told me that um, she's employed someone where she works who has gone from being a deputy head teacher to being quite a lowly administrative role, but they wanted to get out of teaching and they've been moaning about the salary change. And she said, well, it's ridiculous. He, he must have known that, you know, he was going to be earning a lot less than he was as a deputy head teacher. So that's something that you have to accept as well, which is why it's important to save some money, that you are going to be not getting as much as you would as a teacher. Because despite what everyone says, you know, teacher, teaching is really reasonably well paid when you get when you've been there for a fairly good time. So, you know, that's different. But also, um, the variety in ages, I, I don't mind so much because, you know, as a teacher, I had colleagues who were in their 20s who were just as good as me and I had more senior colleagues who'd been doing it for years and years and years who were just as good. So I don't think it's the age that's a problem, it's the experience. And that's what I'm finding tricky. But I have been lucky to get a temping job. Um, which has been quite um, consistent. I'm in my fifth, sixth week there now in an office. And they've thrown me in at the deep end. Um, and that's been a good thing because one good thing about teachers, they come from an academic background and so they're good at absorbing information very quickly and finding out you know, what the kind of key outcome is supposed to be for whatever it is you're doing. So I've been able to use that as a transferable skill and I've been able to you know, sort of slipping quite comfortably at that level and get on with what I've been asked to do. You said um, the problem has been the experience. What What do you mean, your lack of? Lack of experience, because um, I'm very good at talking about poetic metre or Shakespeare or the finer points of um, tone when writing a letter or an article or something like that, but that's not a skill which many areas of work want you to have. But you mentioned an interesting phrase earlier, which was transferable skills. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that um, if you think about teaching quite narrowly, then I, I get the point. But actually, you are... First of all, your standard of written English should be superb. Yeah. Right, so that's never going to be a problem. Um also, just the fact that you've managed your, your teaching load means that you've prob- you are probably a very organised person and you're detail-oriented because you've had to do all of this marking. You're, you're fearless. You've had to stand up in front of 31, sometimes kids who don't want to be there, and you've managed to do that. So all of those things, if we just put them in narrow boxes and call them teaching skills, yeah. but, but you're at, that's the whole thing. And with an employer, I think you have to make it easy for them to make the transfer because sometimes they don't do it automatically. Yeah, and that's something that I've learned. Actually, I think it's really good. Rather than going straight from being a teacher thinking, right, I'm going to go into the next high-power job, where I'm going to have a kind of equitable um, pay scale. It's actually good to go in at a lower level as a temp, which is what I'm doing working in offices, and seeing 
how transferable your skills are because one thing that people have been saying to me in this office they've been saying you do things really quickly don't you <laughs> I said well when you only have an hour and a half a week in order to do all your planning you soon learn how to do things really quickly so that is a skill that teachers do have which is really really useful and I think that's something that like you said time management and organisation if you can't do those things as a teacher then you're not going to survive very long as a teacher so they're really really important skills that employers are looking for particularly if you go into something which is quite fast-paced and quite um, demanding so the office I'm in at the moment um, I'm kind of starting at 8 30 in the morning and not leaving till half five with a half hour lunch because it's just so much work to do so yeah um, are you enjoying it I am, but you know, I feel it's a little bit like playtime because I'm, <laughs> I'm basically, you know, I'm sitting there. I've got my computer, and I'm sort of given tasks to do, and I get them all done, and I do a little research on the internet, send out some emails, I go and have some meetings with something. I feel, oh, I'm playing at being a secretary. It's fantastic, you know, it's great, and there's no kind of sort of you know emotional drain at the moment. I mean, I'm not really using my brain a great deal. But sure, and that will that will probably start to have its effect. Probably, you know, but I, I am really enjoying it. I mean, I'm yeah. really lucky to be in a lovely office with some really nice um, people, predominantly women. I'm in an HR department, and they're all very nice very supportive and you know they sort of I mean but the good thing is because I think when you're a teacher you do like Sue was saying you have that confidence because you're standing there and you're talking to people all day um you kind of have that confidence um to think sometimes well I can do this you know that's not so hard I can get on with this and that's something I can do so that's another good transferable skill and and isn't it wonderful that when you are working incredibly hard and they're lucky to have you but when you go at half five you can go and watch some rubbish television I know do you know I'm really having a problem at the weekends I keep saying to my husband I said I don't know what to do with myself because I've got nothing to do you know normally at sort of the weekends I'm thinking oh I've got to do plan this lesson I've got to make sure I've done this piece of marking I've got to think about my next review it's like I've got the whole of Saturday and the whole of Sunday to do absolutely nothing and it's just it's weird I feel like like there's sort of something missing almost and I'm, I'm sure I get used to it over time but that is great yeah that is so, great okay so you, you're kind of enjoying playtime at the HR <laughs> at the HR firm lying on the weekends yeah. you know go and see some 11am movies that would oh, be that's yeah. what I would do if I were you um I what's what's next then because you know you you sound like someone who does love to get their teeth stuck into something yeah and you'd certainly rise to the occasion of, of the hard work so I guess it's finding out what that is going to be because teaching is such a specific career, isn't it? It's all-consuming. Yeah. Yeah. Now what's the next thing? Have you got any clues? Well, yeah, I have. Um, I'm getting some really valuable experience working in this office in things like project management. Now that sounds really, really fancy. And when I um, kind of you know, was looking at job uh, descriptions. I said, oh, project management experience. Oh, I don't know what that is. I've never done that. But actually, you know, all teachers manage projects. You know, if you're writing a scheme of work, that's a project. If you're having to get students through GCSE, that is a project. That's a very big, very important project. So, um, again, I'm learning all about, you know, how transferable some of the skills from teaching are. Um, So, like Sue was saying, you know, 
it's fun for the time being because it's relaxed and it's I don't have to do anything in the evening and I can step away from it and not have to do it till I go back the next day but there will come a time where I think you know I've got a brain in there I need to be using yeah. that brain I need to have some creative input in what I'm doing whereas at the moment I'm I'm just doing things for other people which I don't mind at all but I you know that's not going to last forever what would your advice be then Sue for the with the project management hat on well I I think you've you've made a really wise decision in that you've taken something with although you're working hard there's not a lot of pressure because I think there's also a confidence issue I know I was a good teacher but I don't know if I can do this and what you're proving to yourself is actually I can do this and it's not that big of a stretch you know but things like project management I think the other skill that you have especially when you're a teacher is that you've got to think long term because you're thinking about a child's development over two years of GCSE for example whereas a lot of people make very short-term decisions so again for project management that's really good um if you were serious about that, because I'm interested that you've gone back into education, you're in a university. <laughs> well, just because, you know, it's it's a slightly more relaxed environment. I was, I mean, this is going to sound so stupid, but I was really <laughs> worried about working in an office and not having office wear. <laughs> I can go to work like this in leggings and a T-shirt if I want to, you know, so, so there was that element as That's well. That's a valid of, concern though, isn't it, about looking yeah. the part? That's part of your confidence, yeah. isn't it? I think unless you work in a sort of blue chip bank in the city now, a lot of companies <laughs> are actually quite relaxed are they? about yeah. how you work. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I don't think, I'm not, I'm not criticising your decision to go back into university, but I think, you know, it, it, there's a bit of safety in that it's sort of education yeah, related. Definitely, and, definitely. And it might be good to, I mean, is this a contract you're working on? Um, I'm a week by week temp. Yeah. Right. So it might, I mean, you could do that in a more commercial firm because I yeah. think that might be a next step and you might also get paid a bit more yeah. if you're in a commercial firm. But if you're interested in project management and nothing about you tells me that you couldn't be a very good project manager, there are recognised qualifications right. that you can do. Like Prince 2 is the, the, the one that comes to mind. It's, um, it's a course that you do and then you get a qualification. And when you're applying for project management jobs, they often ask for qualifications like that. Um, I think there is an institution of project managers and you can have a look Mm. at that because obviously a project manager can work in so many different settings it's basing basically seeing something from beginning to end and make every making sure everybody's in the right place at the right time i mean in in television for example you've got jobs like production manager which is more or less the same the the same job you know so those skills are universally applicable yeah um, i think so uh, i think it's good to have a a relax and a plan get your confidence (laughs) up but again there, there needs to be a bit of a plan because you know what happens with the best will in the world sometimes you get stuck yeah yeah and last week actually I had an interview because you know when I when it came to August I was thinking oh my word I've got to get a job I'm gonna have no money coming in after the end of August there'll be no pay packets um so I was just applying for anything and I got an interview at Wakehurst Place which is near where I live um basically taking the money and you know helping the visitors out and selling things in a shop and I thought oh that'll be fun lovely environment five minutes drive and I kind of thought you don't want to do that because that will be it then that's your retirement and I'm too young to retire at the age of 50 really so I didn't go to the interview and I thought 
Good. That's good. Yeah, I kind of thought... knowledge and yeah. worth. And, yeah. I understand what you say about, you know, I mean, if you need to earn money, you need to earn money yeah. and you take whatever job you can. But looking to the future, the jobs you take now should be building to something. Yeah. I mean, you work in an HR department. Had you thought about being an HR manager? Well, um, I've been talking to people, you know, you know, try and find out sort of, you know, what their qualifications are, what you have to do. So I'm kind of, you know just finding out what other people do who aren't teachers basically because <laughs> that's all I've been doing for 19 years is working in schools I mean so, again going along the HR route often people are HR assistants they learn on the job yeah. but there's also a qualification from the CIPD yes which again is universally recognized yeah. and you can do it as part of work so you're not you don't go off and do it somewhere you do it while you're working right yeah so there are all those sorts of things yeah but it's basically saying you know what sort of life do I want for the next 15 yeah. years and it's getting that balance isn't it between using your brain but not burning yourself out and I think that's where teaching is quite difficult because you use your brain but you tend to just put everything into it so it's trying to find something which is going to have a balance you know something where you can go home at five and you can have the whole weekend to yourself just just one word about you know I'm so I was applying for it for any job which it's totally right at the time but now you've got to be more focused yeah yeah now you've got yeah. to think right where, where are my ne- next steps it's no hurry at all yeah. but where are my next steps be how am I going to build my CV yeah. what's my narrative on my CV going to be now you're going to tell me off again because I've got an interview next week at the department for education <laughs> <laughs> no what, what's the job what's the job um well it's it's quite um a, a lowly role and I I think that is the problem when you're a teacher that you kind of think teaching's all I can do so therefore when I go for the next job I'm not going to go for something which is kind of be a similar level I'm going to go for the next one down yeah. so it is possibly it's an executive officer which I believe is just one step up from admin um, however I kind of thought that you know applying for a, a civil service job there is room for progression once you learn a little bit and once you know what you're doing and I kind of gravitated towards the department for education just because I thought that my experience as a teacher would be beneficial no and there's not, that thinking's perfectly sound yeah. but don't limit yourself no, to that no. and, and what you've just said there about your expectations I think is so telling because you know if just go for something which really interests you which you're a bit scared of you think oh god will I be yeah. my take on it yes you probably will be able to not immediately but yeah. you'll learn how to do it but we are so we so limit ourselves by you know we don't want to fail and so we'll go for yeah. something lower um you will get no's, and that's fine, because every time you get a no, you'll learn from something. Yeah. If you get told you're not accepted for a job, that's fine. Ring them up and ask them why yeah. not, so that you're constantly building on that. But don't limit yourself to sort of safe jobs. Right, um, OK. Focus on something that's really interesting to you and, and go yeah. for it. And, you know, by all means, go to the interview next week, but yeah. also interview them, because I think if you are <laughs> so aware of this being a lower role, yeah. you find out if it really is worth your... Yeah, that's such a good energy. point. Yeah. That's such a good point because I think sort of often we'll go into an interview and it's like I have to be the person they want so they give me the job. What, what I would always recommend is going into a job and thinking, right, it's 50% you to see if I'm right for this job, but it's 50% about me as well. Do I get a good feeling from you? Have, right. when, when I've done my researches, does it live up to my expectations? They are lucky to have me. Yeah. You know, and they are because of all the sorts of experience that you've had. I think the other thing that I'm anxious about um, is my age. I'm 50, nearly 51. 
Um, First of all, you don't look it. Thank you. <laughs> but it's on my, yeah. But, you know, that Why, is a What do you mean it's on your CV? It's not on my CV. I was going to say, is it on my CV? But, you know, the fact, they they make a point, don't they, on CV saying, please remove anything which has indicates your age and take out any references to years and things. But the fact that you've got O-levels says that you are older. Why do you even put your O-levels on? You have to. No, you don't. Who said that? Um, some of them will ask for your qualifications. If they, yes, but... Do you have a degree? Yeah. Right. That's all I'm interested in. Oh, I see. Maybe okay. your A-levels. Right. Know. You can tell uh. me about your 11 plus, your swimming certificate. <laughs> <laughs> you know, put in things that help you. Basically. Uh, loads of brownie badges. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, because I don't put um, school grades on there because oh, I went to school I in didn't... South Africca and no one oh. understands what I've got I anyway. Do you know? So I, I never, start with that my That never occurred degree. to me. I thought you had to go right back to your O-levels. No. Yeah. Especially not when you've got all that experience yeah. career experience under your belt you're not oh. a newbie well there you go it, no, your degree is important because it gets you in it gets your first job and all of that stuff yeah. the further away from that degree you get the less important it is right. but if they say educational qualifications and put your a levels and your your degree and anything else that you've got yeah. um and then you know also think just a, a thing i was thinking of last night often people put things like their address on and now that actually says how old you are your address yes the fact because, that you put it on your CV. Commonly now, what younger people do is they have a mobile telephone number and an email address, and that's it. Okay. Well, look, thank you for coming on, and you know, good luck. I feel like you're you're quite well positioned for the, <laughs> for the future. Definitely, <laughs> thank you. Onwards and upwards. Thanks. That's been really useful. Thank you so much to Judy for coming in and talking to us. If you would like to come on my career crisis, then do send us an email. We'd love to hear your story, and you can uh, have a one-on-one session with Sue. Uh, info at chalkandblade.com is the email address. That's info at chalkandblade.com blade.com in the meantime keep sharing the podcast and keep rating and reviewing us because it means the world and we'll be back very soon with another career crisis my career crisis hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.